Thank you. You may be seated. And as you are seated, the children would be dismissed from kindergarten to sixth grade. And as you, as the children go for parents and guardians uh, today, the children will not be having children's church in the fellowship hall, but in the classroom in the hallway. As you go down right outside the sanctuary here, uh, the first classroom on the left, um, that's where they'll be. So that's where I encourage you to pick up your children uh, today. We want to continue in just an attitude of worship and adoration uh, to the light of the world, the Lord Jesus. Today we're going to be talking in the message about uh, Jesus and his servanthood and church leadership, but we want to spend some time gathering around the communion table first, acknowledging Jesus who said that the greatest among you is the one who serves. And then saying, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so we gather today and come to the communion table. I would invite the elders to come to uh, serve the communion meal to all of us, but coming knowing that Jesus, our great high priest and our mediator, is the one who came to bring peace on this second Sunday of Advent, when we think about peace, that Jesus came to make peace between God and man. Where there was hostility because of sin, Jesus came to make peace by offering himself as a sacrifice, taking his, our sin upon him so that peace would be made between God and men. And so for all those who have received that peace, the peace of God through placing their faith and trust in Christ, for all who have received that peace, we come to the table together. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body that is given for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so as we gather together, I invite you to take that those elements, spend a few time, a few personal moments in prayer, and then we will walk through together celebrating the Lord's Supper.
if you would peel the top layer off to expose the bread in the first layer. I mentioned the fact that Jesus made peace. There are soldiers that are peacekeepers. They stand in the middle of parties and hostility. But their role is not so much to try to fix the situation. Their role is to keep peace between the two by making sure that neither side does anything to escalate. They are peacekeepers. They keep the parties apart. Peacemakers are completely different. Peacemakers engage the problem. Peacemakers come and bring the two offended parties together to work out their differences so that peace exists. Between God and mankind, there is hostility because of sin that stood in the middle of the chasm that breaks relationship with God, that has brought the curse onto the earth and the curse into the relationships between us. We needed a peacemaker. And Jesus is our peacemaker. And he didn't come with elaborate terms of you do this and you do this, can we agree on this? He said, I am peace. And I will offer myself as the offering to satisfy the terms of peace. Because our Father in heaven demands that there would be no sin to approach him. And so Jesus took sin upon himself for us became an offering of sin so that all who would trust in Christ would be brought into peace with God. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the angels declared, because of God in the form of a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice today because of our Savior the Prince of Peace. So as we would take the bread together, we remember the body of Christ that was offered on the cross, the sin of the world placed upon him. Let us eat together and let us adore and worship the one who brought peace through his body. Let us eat together. And as we often do, if you would just take a few moments of adoration and worship of the one who offered his body for us. Jesus, we worship and adore you. Thank you for your body given for us. And if you have not already, peel that second layer off. The blood of Christ is represented in the cup that we drink the blood that covers our sin so that God may look upon us 
as clean, as holy. Come, Isaiah said, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, it would be washed white as snow. We rejoice in the one, the Lord Jesus, who, whose blood covers our sin, that we might be at peace with God. Let us drink in worship and adoration together. Jesus, we honor you this morning. We honor your sacrifice. We honor your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin. We rejoice in the peace that has come between us and you, Father, because of the work of Christ, our good shepherd, the light of the world, the one we worship and adore. Even as the shepherds came to Bethlehem on that night where Jesus was born to adore him, we adore you this morning. When we acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords, we declare that there is no one more worthy, no one more beautiful, no one more glorious, that nothing compares to you, that nothing is better than you, Jesus. We honor you this morning. Speak to our hearts as we look into your word, I pray, as we look at the way you led. May we be ones who follow in your footsteps and lead as you led. Spirit of the living God, open our hearts, our ears, our eyes, that we might see and hear and understand and be transformed. Only you can do that. And we trust you to do it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to the book of Luke, to Luke chapter 22. As we come to, towards the end of this series on the church, we talk today about leadership, leadership in the church. And over the last uh, couple weeks, we've been talking about this idea of giving or getting. We've talked about serving. Uh, last week, we talked about giving, as Mara reminded us this morning. Um, and I said last week on the bulletin uh, board out front or out in the entryway uh, that there were some Get Connected cards, and today they're in your bulletins. And so if you are sensing the Lord urging you, leading you to serve here at Dorseyville. We talked about the fact that in the body of Christ, everyone gets to play, that everyone has gifts, everyone has talents, everyone has a space for them to serve in. And so here are some ways for you to be able to get involved. Um, there are um, places to, to check. You can uh, put your name, contact, either email, phone, or both. Um, if you have questions on, well, what does this one mean and what does that one mean? I'm not going to take time here on Sunday morning to do that, but we would be happy, I'd be happy to talk with you about that and uh, just encourage you to prayerfully be seeking the Lord on how he has you to be involved here at Dorseyville. So today, 
Luke chapter 22, leadership in the church, verses 24 through 30, we will look at together. I invite you to follow along as I would read Luke 22, verses 24 to 30. Luke writes, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to him, or to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a man by the name of Eli Black. You may have heard of him before. He was a brilliant businessman. He was best known for two events in his life. One, he masterminded the multi-million dollar takeover of the United Fruit Conglomerate. And two, he jumped to his death from the 42nd floor of the Pan Am building in New York City. In the book, An American Company, an executive described a business lunch, a business meeting over lunch that he had had with Eli Black. And so a waitress brought a plate of cheese and crackers as an appetizer as their meeting began. And as the waitress brought that plate of cheese and crackers, Black immediately reached out grabbed it all and brought it to himself and began to conduct the meeting further by putting his arms around that plate of cheese and crackers. After a little while, he took one of the crackers and one of the pieces of cheese and he put it on his finger and kind of held it there. The other executive, the other man that was having this meeting with Eli Black was getting very hungry. He had not eaten for several hours and he had expressed interest. Boy, I would really like one of those crackers. And Eli Black with his fingers holding the cheese and crackers out before him and holding his arms around that plate just began to tease him with it and eventually offered a cracker and a piece of cheese to this man. And what was clear that Eli Black was doing in the midst of this meeting was saying, I'm in charge. I'm in control. I have the power here. Eli Black, for all of his power, for all of his importance, for all of his earthly accomplishment, ended his life in suicide. Contrast that with the one who we celebrated around the table this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in all of his power, in all of his glory, in all of his worth, came in humility, in the form of a man, in a defenseless, needy baby. (laughs) And he became the savior of the world. 
Power, humility. Leadership and power can typically be looked at and be used in one of two ways. Either in the way that the world practices leadership and uses power as evidenced in Eli Black's life, or in the way of the kingdom and what Jesus models for us in the church as he both practiced it and modeled it. He taught it as well. Leadership in the church is intended to be practiced, intended to be lived out of in the way of Jesus, in the way of his kingdom. But I would submit to you this morning that far too often in the church, leadership view or leadership looks like the way of the world much more than the way of the kingdom. So this morning we want to look at these two, the worldly leadership and kingdom leadership. But before we do that, understand that the context of this whole passage in Luke chapter 22 is the Last Supper, where we remembered and where we celebrated the body and the blood of Christ. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this communion supper, in the midst of the Passover in which it was being celebrated, there's an argument, we're told, that arises. An argument amongst the disciples. Now imagine you are Jesus. He says, I have longed to spend this time with you. I have longed to remember the deliverance of our people Israel out of Egypt. And I have longed to do this because I am setting a new pattern for this. The bread will represent my body and the cup will represent my blood. And I will not eat of this again until the fullness of my kingdom comes. This is a a high point for Jesus. He's been looking forward to this moment. The cross is the next day. And what are his disciples doing? They're bickering amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. Can you imagine how Jesus would feel in this moment? The weight of knowing what is coming, longing for this time to be with them, knowing this is the last time he will celebrate this Passover that he has celebrated since he was a young child, knowing this is the last time and knowing what is ahead, his closest followers are arguing about who's the greatest. And what goes even further is this isn't the first time that they've argued about this. Because earlier in a parallel account, another account in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28, this is well before the Passover, but James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, their mother comes to Jesus And she says, Jesus, I have a request of you. When you come into your kingdom, would you grant that my sons would have one spot on your right and one spot on your left? And you can imagine the other disciples, the other 10 are going, whoa, 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 hold on. They're going to get the privileged spots and that had a big fight in the midst of it all, which Jesus quelled it and put it down and said, hey, it's about sacrifice. It's about humility. It's about service. You don't know what you're asking if you want to be on my right and my left, what that would cost. And so what is so interesting and 
has to be so discouraging for Jesus is that this argument that they have on the night before he goes to the cross, he had already settled it in the not too recent past and they're still arguing about it. Who is the greatest? In leadership, who is the greatest? Jesus' response in both is the same. One a negative response and one a positive. In your bulletin or sermon notes, you can fill in. There'll be some more notes on the screen if you want. But the negative response first. Because in the church, in the kingdom, leaders lead like Jesus. The first is this. If we're going to lead like Jesus, resist worldly leadership. And let me say even before we go, all of us are leaders in some way. There are different positions of leadership in the church, different positions of leadership in society, but all of us in some way, shape, or form will find ourselves in positions of leadership. It may not be high leadership, but all of us will lead in some way. The question is, how will we lead? Will we lead like Jesus? And so Jesus tells them to resist worldly leadership. What does worldly leadership look like? Worldly leadership looks like two things. First, it looks like using power to control. Using power to control. Verses 24 through 25 and 6. Again, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Worldly leadership uses power to control others. Leadership in the Roman world of which Israel was living under the rule of Rome was all about using power to control people. Leaders would claim to be God-like. And they would then, because of this claim of being God-like, would use their power essentially to be tyrants. Their rule was tyrannical. They would use power Lording it over, Jesus says. To lord it over literally means to exercise influence over another through the use of power. In other words, I have power, I have position, I am going to use my power, use my position to control you to do what I want you to do. And so the disciples would have seen this kind of leadership on display regularly because it wasn't just the Romans, but it was their own Jewish leadership that had been given these positions of power to rule under the higher power of Rome. And so they ruled in the way that Rome ruled. Using power, using position to control. But not only using power to control is worldly leadership, but it's using power for personal benefit. How did it benefit the leader? 
There's a word that Jesus says, those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. The word benefactor denotes a title that was given of honor. And it was similar to one that was conferred upon a person who had done something exceptional for their country, who had done great service for their country. And so they would be given titles when they had done something to serve their country well of benefactor. It was an earned title. But notice, Jesus says, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. No one has given the title of benefactor to these worldly leaders. No one has said, you have done such great service for our country that we call you a benefactor. No, Instead, these leaders who use power for control have now taken it for themselves. Look at what I have done. Look how I am great. And they would then use it to benefit themselves. To use their position to help pad themselves, to lift them up, to benefit themselves in some way, shape, or form. It was a self-given title out of their position. Think about it in our day this way. Think about a politician who has a position of influence and they decide there's a way that I'm going to use my position to benefit myself. And so they know that they, they have companies around them that would love to have a contract, a government contract. And so what they do is they go to those companies and they say, if I give you this contract, you will do this for me. This is what I need for you. So I will use my power. I will use my position. I will use my influence. I will use my place of leadership ultimately, so that I can scratch your back so that eventually it's going to come back and you can scratch mine. It's about using my power to benefit myself by helping others. It's not about them. It's ultimately about me. And so benefactors are the, in these places of using power for personal benefit and nothing more. When we think of leadership in this way, the ultimate motivation for worldly leadership is a person leads for earthly reward. A leader in this position leads only for an earthly reward. The focus is on themselves. The focus is on their organization. The focus is on how it betters their life. It's self-focused, self-centered. Often in the church, it gets expressed in being in positions of leadership so that I can somehow control and get what I want, so that others will praise me, so that others will say, wow, how good they are, so that status can be elevated, so that I feel good, so that I receive some kind of reward. Leadership, in a worldly way, Jesus says, is to be resisted 
The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you, you are not to be like that. Instead, in verse 26, Jesus says, instead. And so the positive of leadership is to be practiced to practice kingdom leadership. And the way that Jesus lays this out is in contrast to worldly leadership of using power to become low. Verse 26, but, if, but you are not to lead like that. You are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Jesus holds up here two different groups of people. He has the greatest and the ruler, and the ruler in contrast to the youngest and the one who serves. In Jesus' day, the great ones and the rulers were the elevated ones. The young ones and the ones who served were the low ones. And so greatness in Jesus' equation here is saying in the worldly way of looking at it, greatness deals with age. Greatness deals with ruling. Young servants are the low. In worldly terms, the higher the position the greater the power. But in the kingdom, the lower the position, the lower the person, the greater the power. Jesus had this amazing way of saying, my kingdom is not of this world. The church is not of this world. The way the world thinks of power and leadership, flip it upside down and that's the way Jesus thinks of leadership and how he lived out leadership. Position is not what matters. It's what you do with your position. In many situations, you cannot control what position you have. Where you have worked up, that is a good thing. Sometimes you are in the low spot and you have nothing to say about it. But whether you're in the high spot or in the low spot, what you do with your position is ultimately what matters. Leaders take the position of humility and lowering themselves to the lowest spot. Kingdom leadership does not take place high. Kingdom leadership takes place from the low and the humble places. The high and the lofty is not where leadership happens in the kingdom. In the low, humble places is where leadership happens. I'll never forget seeing this modeled for me. My youth pastor became my mentor when I was in college. I did a youth internship um, during the summer in between college for uh, two different summers. And I remember seeing my youth pastor who had, I'd now taken a little bit of a step up. I was not in the youth group anymore. I was now part of you, being a part of ministry with him. And so I saw him do things that everyone else didn't get to do, didn't get to see. I saw him intentionally doing menial tasks. 
you know, the kind of important tasks that seemingly important people think are not important and think are beneath them. The, position, the, the menial tasks such as cleaning and taking out the trash and, take, and changing the light bulbs and shoveling the snow. The jobs and the tasks that no one sees except when they're not done. The important tasks that important people would never see themselves doing. And yet he was in this position of leadership, not only in our church, which was a large, important, influential church, but also leadership across the denomination as a whole. He was a person that could have been high, that could have been viewed as, wow, look at him. And what was he doing? He was lowering himself. And I'll never forget the reason why. Because he knew that he needed to make sure that he stayed humble. Using your power to become low, to be among the people that you serve, to be among the people that you lead, to engage where others are at, of doing the things that others might never see. Practice kingdom leadership. It's also about using power, whereas in the world it's for your own benefit, but using power for others' benefit. For who is greater? Verse 27, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. In John's gospel, in his account of the Last Supper, of which this is the context, Jesus does something there that's not recorded in Luke. Jesus takes off his outer garment and kneels down and washes the feet of each of his disciples. The lowest of the low jobs. Feet were the ugliest, dirtiest part of the body. Still today, there are a lot of people who despise feet. They're not the prettiest. They can be some of the smelliest. They're not what you want to be touching. It's the low place. And yet Jesus, in John's account, does the lowest servant job and washes their feet. Jesus reminds them in this passage that the disciples' belief, that the world's belief is that those who are seated at the table are greater than those who serve. But Jesus, again, flips it all upside down and tells them that he is among them, not as one who sits at the table. He is among them as one who serves. The greatest one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, not for his benefit, but for the glory of the Father and for ours. Friends, leaders in the church, leaders in the kingdom of God in general, follow the example of our king and they use their power, they use their position, not to benefit themselves, but to benefit others. And I want want you to hear this clearly. If you are leading correctly, leadership in the church, leadership in general in the spaces that you may lead should never get you acclaim or benefits before those that you serve get them. If you are leading in the kingdom well, if you are leading in the church well, if you are leading as a follower of Jesus well, those you serve should get the acclaim and the benefit before you do. If you have somehow jumped the line and get the acclaim or benefit before those you are serving, you're serving in a worldly way, not in a kingdom way. This goes against everything, everything that we know in the world. Because why do you get a promotion? Why do you work hard? Why do you elevate? Why do you aspire to greatness? So that you can make more, so that you can have more power, more influence, have your way, right? That is the worldly thought. That's what we teach our kids. Go and do everything you can to be successful so that you will be here. Now, there, there's nothing wrong with having these positions. The question is, why do you get there? What is your motivation for getting there? Is it so that you can benefit? Is it so that you are in a good place? Is it so that others may look at you and say how great you are? Is it so that your life is comfortable or is it so? You can flip it upside down and you can become low and you can serve and you can bless all of those around you. Jesus models kingdom leadership. The motivation for kingdom leadership is seen in verses 28 to 30. Ultimately, why, where is our reward at in all of this? Because clearly, this kind of leadership does not get much reward here on earth, does it? There's not much earthly benefit out of it. Verse 28 to 30, he says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Those who lead in the kingdom, those who lead in the church, they lead not for earthly reward, but for an eternal reward. 
There will be reward. The question is, where will that be? Will your reward be here? Or will your reward be in heaven? Leadership in the church, leadership in a kingdom way, whether it's in the workplace or in your family or in the church or in organizations in the community, whatever it is, leadership in this way will not get you much in the way of reward or acclaim. But the reward in heaven will last forever. As I was praying about this message, there were two words of application that came to my mind. The first is this. For those who aspire to leadership, in order to enforce power or influence on others, I believe the word is this. Repent. Humble yourself and lead from a position of servanthood. Lead from a position of being low. If you've led this way in the past, and you may not find yourself in much spots of leadership today, if you have led this way in the past before the Lord, repent. Acknowledge it. Confess it to him as sin because it is not the way of the kingdom. Using power, using leadership and influence to control others or to benefit yourself is not the way of the kingdom. On the flip side, I believe there are those in our midst and those who may be listening who don't feel confident in leading who when you think about leadership, you want to run the other direction. <laughs> Leadership's not for me. You may even think that leadership is only for the strong. That leadership is only for those who are in the elevated positions. But oftentimes those who are in those positions, I find are the ones who are willing to help with anything. I don't want to lead, but I'll help. Can I encourage you with this? If you're in a spot where you say, I, I, I'm not up here. I don't want to be up here. I'd rather be down here. Then you are already in the greatest position for leadership. You are in the right posture. And you need to begin to see yourself as a leader. You may say, I, I, I just do the low menial stuff. I'm not a leader. In the kingdom, Jesus says, that's my kind of leader. And to begin to say, Jesus, if this is what you say leadership is, looks like, to be low, to humble myself, 
to be willing to serve and to use position and power, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others, not to control people, but to bless them. If you're in that place and saying, that's what I love to do, then I want to challenge you to see yourself the way Jesus sees you. You are in leadership. And I believe the Lord wants to elevate more people who are in postures like that. Because that's the heart of a leader. When you look at the disciples, there was not a one of them who anyone would say, there's a leader. They were the low. They were the despised. They were the ones that no one would have ever thought that's a leader. And yet, they were Jesus' hand-picked leaders. Lead like Jesus. As we close this morning, we're going to close with something really kind of different. And if you're newer to the church, this may not make a ton of sense to you but it's something I believe that we need just to share for a moment. Recently, I've mentioned that our elders have been spending time spent from May really through October seeking the Lord, fasting, praying, seeking Jesus. Is there anything that you hold against us as a church family, whether it be past or present? And one of the areas that continued to come up was this area of leadership. Now, let me say, I, I speak this in great humility and it's very difficult to speak about it in any way because there have been many good Christ-like leaders in the life of this church. But we also recognized in humility before the Lord that there have been seasons of leadership that have not been fully reflective of this kind of leadership, of kingdom leadership. And for this, whether in ways that we have participated or the ways those who have gone before us have participated, we stood before the Lord and humbled ourselves and asked for his forgiveness. and have said, Lord, we want to lead in the way that Jesus led. We want to lead like the kingdom leads. That we want to be people, we want to be leaders as elders who in our church are the highest level of leadership, not to lead in a worldly leadership way, but in a kingdom leadership way, following the example of Jesus. And so, on behalf of myself and others, other leaders, other elders, we would simply ask forgiveness. If there has been any way that even just the current leaders, I have not led this way and it has hurt and caused pain or difficulty in anyone's life, please let me know, us know. If there are things that have happened in the past because of worldly leadership and not 
kingdom leadership and there is pain that you carry or others that you know that have been affected by leadership, please let us know because we believe that Jesus is a restorer. And we want to commit to being leaders who lead like Jesus. And just to visually demonstrate this, the elders, I asked each of them, and we felt like a step to be able to take to visually do this is, as Jesus did, as Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, that we would each ask the Lord for a person that we would wash their feet. Recognizing that those who would wash the feet would be representative of the whole congregation. We thought about, could we do this for everyone? And um, I know that that probably is not gonna be a widely received kind of thing. So we asked one person each that we felt the Lord was leading us as representation of the congregation that we would wash one person's feet to be able to say we desire to serve, to lead from a position of low, not high, to be servant leaders. So if those who are going to have their feet washed and the elders that are going to wash them, if they would come,